Welcome to the Sounds of Encouragement, the place for musicians and music teachers to find support and encouragement to help you stay motivated, creative, and moving forward in what you do best. I'm Melissa Slocum, your host and number one encourager. I currently live in the Atlanta, Georgia area and have my own thriving studio teaching piano to all ages in person and online. I also help other teachers use student goal-based learning and differentiated instruction to increase motivation in their students and increase retention rates in their studios. You can learn more at www.musiclessonpathways.com. Thank you for tuning in to Sounds of Encouragement. Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified of future episodes. Enjoy the following episode. Don't forget to keep listening at the end and be sure to check out all the links in the comments or show notes. As always, I'm here for you, so you can be there for those who need you the most. Reach out to me at soundofencouragement at gmail.com and let me know how I can better support and encourage you. Derek Van began studying piano and composition with his mother, Gail Van, at the age of six. Derek has won numerous awards for composition, most notably including winning the Lynn Freeman Olson Composition Contest in 2009. His entry, entitled Sounds of Madrid, was published by FJH in 2010. This piece was later selected in the 2014-2016 NFMC Bulletin. In March of 2009, Derek won the Atlanta-Brazil Piano Competition at Georgia State University, whose prize involved touring three cities in Brazil in 2010 as a concert performer. In 2013, Derek won GSU's Brumby Concerto Competition and was privileged to perform Tchaikovsky's Second Piano Concerto with the Georgia State Symphony Orchestra. In 2016, he was awarded a scholarship for the Master Piano International Courses by the Chopin Society of Atlanta, whose prize funded a trip to study at piano courses in Paris, France, and Valdemosa, Spain. In 2017, Derek completed his bachelor's degree in classical piano performance at Georgia State University, studying with Dr. Sergio Gallo. In addition to his piano performance career, Derek started a family young, marrying his lovely wife Stephanie in 2011 and starting a family to now include three beautiful children, Ethan, Sydney, and Caitlin. Working at Piano Works in Duluth since 2012, Derek now serves as their lead piano sales rep, print music manager, and web store manager. Complementing his work in sales, Derek also enjoys teaching a thriving independent studio of over 20 students ranging from young beginners to adults and even fellow teachers seeking to enhance their knowledge of advanced repertoire. As a teacher, Derek is active in NFMC festivals and he also serves as vice president of membership for his North DeKalb MTA. Welcome to Sounds of Encouragement. My name is Melissa Slocum, and my guest today is Derek Van. Derek, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Melissa. Great to be with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Yeah, and so Derek, you and I have known each other for a few years. Uh, I've been in the Atlanta area for about 10 years now. Um, I'm going on 11. And uh, you work at Piano Works in Duluth, which is a local, um, local to me anyway. And I first met you at Piano Works. Uh, and you have, from your bio, we know you have a lot of experience. You're an incredible pianist um, and a wonderful piano teacher. And you do so much to support so many different teachers around the Atlanta area. And you've done so many amazing things in your life. And I know that that bio that we heard was just a short version 
of some of the things that you've been able to experience in your life. So I know we can't pack everything into one interview today, but if you could share a moment or a person or a story or two about encouragement that changed a direction for you, or maybe was a pivot point or was a moment of significance in your life and share a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, big for me, of course, my mom is a piano teacher herself. So um, if you had asked me as a kid growing up, if that was the direction I wanted to go for sure, uh, I would never have picked that or, or guessed that. Uh, but she definitely instilled within me a love for music along the way. Um, you know, being my piano teacher growing up and my mother had moments of, of uh, conflict, I guess we could say, sure. where we didn't get along. Sure. But she certainly was a constant source of encouragement and motivation and um, definitely instilled in within me a love of music. And... Of course, my teacher that I studied with in high school didn't list that in the bio, but Lois Finley, oh, she's a sure. local teacher. She's, yes. she's really, really well known within the area. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, you know, late middle school, early high school, the me getting along with my mom and studying piano with her wasn't working out so well. So it made sense to go with somebody and somebody who knew some of the more advanced repertoire as my skill was developing. And Lois was great with me. And it was along that line in high school when I really realized that I loved music and that this was something that I could do for a living. Uh, and so that's where I really started to get more serious was in high, high school as I studied with Lois and, um, you know, just grew leaps and bounds. The, the way that she taught me, she, rather than telling me this is how it's supposed to be, she really influenced me to think deeply about what are the possibilities? Why is it this way? Or how could it, how could it be performed in a different way? She helped me reason through things. And it's, it's a way that uh, really I try to incorporate in my teaching with my students today. Um, so trying to find that pinpoint, that one moment where everything changed. I don't know if I had that. It was more a lot of little things along the way that built up. But, um, you know, I went through a period when I finished high school where I just wasn't convinced. I had a moment of doubt. So I, um, strangely, I didn't put this in the bio, but um, I just got a job working for a friend at a meat market. And uh, oh, okay. I, I spent a, about a year working as a butcher with him and just trying to figure out my wow. life, figure out what I wanted to do. Sure. I, got, I got married. I had a child. And then the nice folks here at Piano Works reached out to me and sit, wanted to see if I wanted to work here for them. They needed somebody who could play for their YouTube videos and somebody to help out in the sheet music department. So, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I, I definitely could do that. So I came and worked here for about three, four months. And that's where I, I really missed music. I was playing for fun, but I wasn't serious about it. Right. And I realized here that, okay, I do love music. This is something that I want to do. So may, that might've been the moment when I said, okay, this is something I can do. I was, I had started a family at this point, so I knew I needed to provide for them. Right. And so that's when, I decided after working here for about three to six months, said, okay, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get my degree. Uh, and I want to do this as uh, for a living. So all these little things kind of worked in. It wasn't maybe the normal path that a person takes, but um, 
I don't have any regrets looking back at it. I don't know that there is a normal path actually, but that actually (laughs) makes a lot of sense to me because one of the things that I reflected on as I was thinking about, you know, sitting down and talking with you today was uh, something called the art of the gentle nudge. And you have a way of saying, well, just try this, just, well, think about this or try that, or why don't you try this? And what ends up happening is it's a gentle nudge and it's not a straightforward push. And so anytime I've worked with you on anything or asked you about anything, you're like, well, maybe try this. And I'm wondering, is that also part of, you know, does that come from your mom or is that something else that you just developed along the way? Well, my mom is not as subtle, so I don't think I got that from her. (laughs) If my mom didn't like something that I did, she would just flat out tell me. But I I love that about her. Okay. Because I always, I never got, uh, she would never say good job if I didn't earn it. So I always appreciate that. So I feel like that side of me actually comes from my father. He, he's a salesperson. And. Okay. He, he puts a lot of effort into his approach. And so I got a lot of that from him. And then of course, on the teaching side from, from my teacher Lois, because she wouldn't just provide answers. She really wanted you to think and come to a conclusion on your own. And for me, anyway, that always stuck deeply. I always did better when I understood why, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You just told me to do something. I wasn't as game for it. I wasn't going to be up for it quite as easily. But if I understood why I had to work hard, why I had to put in that effort, then I was much more likely to put in that effort. And that's how I feel like uh, I can get the most out of my students too. If they understand the why behind what to do, they're more, much more likely to do it. Yes. We are very similar in that sense in terms of our teaching style. And I'm that way with my kids too. Although maybe I need to be more that way with my kids because I feel like our kids are we're different with our kids. <laughs> bets are all bets are off when it comes to our kids. It's uh, you know, I mean, we 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 try, but it's also much easier to get frustrated. I, know. I, I have so much more patience yeah. when working with other people's kids than my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. So sometimes we get encouragement around something from other people. They might see something in you, um, or you know, they might hear something, and they'll give encouragement. But sometimes it ends up being more of an expectation of what they want you to do instead of encouraging you to do something. How have you gone about discerning the difference between encouragement and expectation in your life? That's a great question. I was given this thought, you know, I I think back to growing up when I was studying with my mother, I was the piano teacher's son. And Mm. with that came some serious levels of expectation, right? I, I was representing her in a lot of ways. And I, she made sure I was aware of that when I wasn't practicing or putting into work or you know, putting the attention to detail that I really could have. And so there were times where that pressure, I didn't like it, right? It caused some levels of friction between my mother and I. But at the same time, that level of expectation and pressure also was a motivating, motivating factor for me. It pushed me to to try harder than I would have, to put in more effort. And with that increased effort and attention to detail came more achievement, right? right? And as I uh, accomplished bigger challenges or I won a competition or participated in this event, um, well, then you get positive feedback. 
right? You get that encouragement. And uh, certainly positive feedback was a huge motivator for me to keep working, right? I think in a way that pressure was good for me, even if I didn't like it in the moment. It was good for me because it helped me to attain some personal sense of achievement, a personal sense of pride and accomplishment. And with that, okay, now I'm encouraged. Now I'm excited. I'm ready to take on that next challenge. I learned, learned the value of hard work, essentially. Uh, and um, so it's that balance that I now struggle with as a teacher. I don't want to set such a high standard of expectation that a student feels like they can never measure up. But at the same time, at the same time, I don't want to, you set low expectations, you're going to get little achievement. You're not going to get much in return. And so I'm trying to find this balance with my students where set, setting the level of expectation ab, above the, the status quo uh, to where they, they push for it, they see the value of their hard work. Because I think once a student realizes that, yes, accomplishing big things takes work, it takes practice, it takes diligence and struggling, and yes, sometimes even failing. But when you put in that hard work and it pays off, the reward is worth it. So did it, at any point, did anyone say, well, you know, why are you doing what you're doing now? Why aren't you out like being a concert pianist? Why aren't you out touring? Or did anyone dangle something in front of you and say, hey, here's the life you should oh, have? Yeah, the, oh, yeah. Great question. Um, along the way, there's been tons of people who have um, had their own vision for me. Yeah. Um, essentially, what has guided my decisions is, you know, I started a family young, mentioned that in the bio. Mm -hmm. I want to be home with my kids for dinner. Yeah. Uh, I want to, as much as what I accomplish myself is important to me, I'd rather do a good job of raising my children and spend time with them and not miss out on these early years where they actually want to spend time with me. I don't have teenagers yet, but I don't look forward to it. And, um, <laughs> it's gonna I, I want to okay. be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm sure I will survive, but I want to enjoy the time that they want to play with me and do all those things and a career of performing and a career of, of, of those type of things. Could I do it? Probably. I, I don't have, I don't doubt that I could, but every waking hour I would be spending either practicing or outperforming and I'd be away from the family. And so that's not a lifestyle I want for them or, or for me personally. So I made a different choice. I had teachers along the way because I'm a teacher's son. I grew up around piano teachers. My mom was involved in, in organizations. And a lot of times I was not only performing at an event, but I was also assisting and helping with this and that and the other. And so these teachers kind of grew up watching me or watched me grow up, I should say. And they all had a vision of, you know, oh, well, you should get your master's and your doctorate. You should be teaching at a university. And while I don't think I would dislike that, um, for me, another another round of schooling, balancing, you know, I, I did all those things that were mentioned kind of simultaneously. I was working full time. I was going to school full time, raising a family. I even started teaching in and around my last couple of years of college and I was wow. burnt out. I was I was way burnt out on the process. The um, I loved the music, but the academia of it the jumping through hoops got to me for sure. Um, and so for me, 
I'm at a stage where I can provide for my family. I can do what I love with music. And I actually have time to spend with my family. So that's what made made my choices the way they were. Rather than doing what people expected of, well, you could teach at a university. Maybe if I went through all the hoops, I could. But at this stage in my life, this is what's most important to me. Yeah, I, I resonate with that because it's about priority, you know, and, and deciding for yourself, what are your top priorities in life? So for someone who, and we've all gone through 2020, 2021 now, we're into March of 2021. Pandemic hits, um, store gets closed. Uh, we all kind of have to pivot our teaching. We all have to kind of figure things out. What kept you going during 2020 and now into 2021? What has kept you positive? What has kept you creative? What has kept you hopeful? Because I've had conversations with you over that period of time, every once in a while, checking in about different things. And you have never, at least when I've been around, expressed any negativity, any frustration, any angst about what's happening. You just seem to be able to roll with whatever is happening. How have you been able to navigate? Um, well, not ignoring that there's challenges or pretending like things aren't different because they are. I mean, we, we shut down our business here at the store for close to three weeks. And there was a period of concern and all the way for, for several months, uh, you know, what makes our business go is sales and they're just, people weren't making purchases, right? The world, even as things started to open up gradually, the sales weren't coming. And I did have some students who weren't motivated or interested to, to move forward when it came to lessons. They wanted to take a break either because of financial reasons or they felt like virtual lessons weren't going to work. So for me, a big thing was accepting the fact that there were certain things outside of my control, mm. right? The circumstances around us had shifted. We weren't going to be able to keep doing things the same way. I can be frustrated. I can be upset at the fact that I can't do it the same way I did it before. Or I can accept that these things have changed and focus on the things that I can't control. Um, and so I made a quick decision very early on that I wasn't going to focus on things that were outside of my control, any of the negatives, but rather focus on what can I do to improve the situation? Are in-person lessons, are you able to do all the same things that you can do virtually on Zoom? No. But I looked for opportunities for what could be different. Yeah. With my students, I looked for, and I, I one of the things I did too, I communicated with the parents who were concerned. So look, we can, we can stop doing piano and what good is that for your kids? They need to do something at home and this is something safe that you can do. That's number one. Number two, this is a good opportunity and I used this for this um, opportunity was to teach students a little bit more uh, self-personal discipline, responsibility of no, I'm not right there to point at the music for you to tell you where the note is. You're going to have to find it. And I had to learn to be more specific and direct in my communication. And it's not just this note on the on the page. It's measure three, right hand, beat three, right? Getting super specific. And for kids, sometimes it's hard for them to follow that. 
But I also think it's good that they had to adjust and learn because that's going to benefit them going yes. forward. Um, and of course, the demonstration, I use a lot more demonstration in my teaching now as a result of Zoom than I did before, before I talked more. And sometimes you can try and tell them what you want, but if you show it to them and they mimic, it it goes beyond words. Right, right. And so I've kind of learned the benefit of that through that process. I feel like this process of Zoom, I looked at for it as an opportunity to improve my teaching ability. And I feel like it has. And I've seen it as an opportunity for my students to improve the way that they learn. Uh, so rather than looking at it as negative, let's look for the positives within the circumstances of what's possible. Wow. And then, you know, I know a lot of people have talked about um, just kind of how they handle things within their family. You have young children at home. How did you handle young children at home and pandemic life? We we stayed busy. We found other things for them to do. We we took on little personal projects with our kids. My wife is great. She's able to just to, to stay home and work with the kids, but she she stays on top of them. Uh, we had a, a long talk, probably six, eight months into pandemic about the kids being bored and okay, well, how do we fill up this extra time at home that we're not with friends at the moment they were, they had been filling it up with TV or playing games on the tablet. And I just noticed the more time they spent on the tablet, the worse their attitude, the worse their behavior, ask them to do something around the house and be, you know, they're irritated because they're being pulled away from their game that they're so engrossed in. And uh, especially for my son, nine years old, I, we didn't like that. And we always felt like we were fighting with him because the attitude was poor and all he wants to do is, is do those things. So we've, we've pushed to, to have more outside time, but then we also developed little side projects that we're doing for their own education outside of school. We're using uh, the Bible as part of our source, but we have a little personal study project every single day where they use material that they study, they generate a report, and they send it to a friend. Wow. And yeah, it, sometimes it could take anywhere from 30 minutes to over an hour for them to work on that. And they do it every single day. That but we saw it as a great way to, to challenge them, to keep them motivated keep them productive and to limit that tablet time that we felt like was not working well for them. Wow. What a great, um, not only a great idea, but a great example of, you know, leadership in your own family and just, you know, getting those kids away from the technology. Cause we went through some similar challenges here with teenagers, as you can imagine. Uh, and it is hard. It's hard when you're feeling isolated to get everyone out. And you, I mean, with teenagers too, I've noticed you can only spend so much time together as a family. And then they're just like, I need, I need away from you, mom and dad. <laughs> little ones have a little bit uh, less absolutely. of that. Yeah. But still it's a thing. Um, so, okay. So you've had a lot of things that have actually, you've been able to do that, that come from you and who you are, your character, your personality, um, that you've been able to turn or keep positive or create positivity and create positive ripples. And uh, I, I really feel like that's a, that's a character trait. And not everyone has that. Not everyone has that built in. 
So what encouragement do you have for people who may not have that built-in ability right now who are still struggling? We're seeing more and more teachers, I feel like, in the last two months who are just now in 2021 starting to teach online. They are trying to figure it out now. They're a little bit later to the game than people you know, like you and I who just flipped immediately. What encouragement do you have for people who just are struggling and who cannot find that positivity naturally inside them or from other sources like you have in your family? I think a big key is focus and expectation. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly trying to make things like they were, mm -hmm. you're, you're aspiring to a level or a, a status that's not going to be achievable right now. It's not possible. We can't make things like they were. Too much has changed. Yeah. So we kind of have to let that go. Quit looking behind us at what's dragging us down, so to speak, because we're, we're not going to be able to, to reproduce that with the current circumstances of COVID. But that's okay. Once you kind of accept that and realize that there are positive things. No, we can't play duets virtually on two different screens anymore. That's, that's just, that's gone. just gone. We can't right. do that at this moment. Right. But there's other things that we can do and make progress. I've seen students who, who went through their struggle periods, but are doing great. And I haven't seen them in person in over a year. Yeah. Um, and that's amazing to me. Yeah. Would their progress have been the same in person the whole way? I don't know. All I'm looking for is signs of positivity with my students, small things of, wow, that rhythm was excellent. Okay, we had some wrong notes or vice versa. The notes were great. The rhythm right. was bad. I Just making that choice of what to focus on. I think sometimes we feel like our circumstances dictate how we should feel. And um, I think we choose what to focus on. If we're choosing to focus on the negative, we're going to feel upset and frustrated. If we choose to focus on positive things, that's going to produce a happier feeling, a happier emotion. And so by choosing to focus on those, the good, whatever is being achieved, understanding what is possible, it's much easier to stay focused. And the other side of this is that I've just found anytime I look back in the past, everything seems easier. Things weren't perfect before. They weren't always easy before. We had challenges right. before, but it's easy to just look at the current situation and say, because these challenges are new and different, that everything's worse. Right. When really, you know, we're, we're looking through rose-colored glasses when we look at the past. We're look, we feel nostalgic because we forgot about the challenges. We only think about the positives. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it's okay to grieve, right? Because we don't want to discount people's sense of loss to what was. And it's totally okay no. to the grieving process. We understand that because for everyone, everything was, the rug was pulled out and everything was shaken and everything was yeah. taken away. And it's okay to feel that grief. It's okay to feel the sense of personal loss or corporate loss. But I think at some point we all do have to take that next step forward. And at some point move away from the grief, move away from uh, the despair, if that's what people are feeling. And I love how you're putting this in more simplistic terms and tying the attitude to the emotion. Because I think when you do look forward and you look for one thing that's positive, I think you're absolutely right. You have a sense of feeling better. 
And I think that's an important connection for people to make. It's not about just being um, toxically positive all the time. That can't happen for any of us. But when we look for something good mm -hmm. and we experience something good and we find the good, we can also feel a little better, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's I, I've seen it for myself. I see it with students and parents. Um, and I mean, I, the, the amount of appreciation I get from parents for sticking through it and making the changes and not giving up on kids, even when they're struggling yeah. and things like that. Um, you know, I've learned, especially through this process, I start off each lesson asking them how their week's been, what's been going on. Yeah. Um, so rather than them having to make excuses for why they didn't practice, I can just learn about their week and what's going on and develop that connection. And if I find out, yeah, they had seven tests and three papers due and uh, the dog had to go to the vet. Okay, my, my, I can automatically scale down my expectations at the beginning of the lesson for what their practice should have been. Right. The whole lesson goes so much better than me being frustrated that they didn't practice again this week and they're disappointed because they know I'm disappointed. Right. That's not, not a productive right way to progress in the lesson now if we have seven lessons in a row that are bad okay now let's start talking about this sure uh what needs to change but that little powwow at the beginning of each lesson really does ease things forward and helps me really know where they're coming from because if, if i haven't seen them in a week i don't know what's been going on yeah it's really about meeting people where they're at not where you want them to be yeah i mean we i think it's that balance of 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 mixing in where they're from, where they're coming from, what they've been, and still trying to have a some sense of 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 expectation, but not not doing it without considering their circumstances. Right, right. So we want to move to uh, the music that you uh, shared as your top five encouraging uh, songs or pieces of music, and these are all just incredible, and they're all a little bit longer. So. All the links will be posted in the show notes or in the comments in the YouTube video. And go check out, go listen to all of these in full length. They're all just really fabulous. I can only share about 10 or 15 seconds, otherwise they'll get flagged for copyright. So we don't wanna do that. Uh, but this first piece is uh, for a lot of uh, piano teachers and musicians. This is the Beethoven Sonata number no. 30. Uh, it's the 109. And you chose Andres Schiff. We're going to listen to a little bit of this. This is the beginning of the third movement, movement, and then we'll talk afterward. Here we go. So what is, what makes this come to your top five? So it is a combination of things. I think about the context of when Beethoven wrote this in his life, right? This is late Beethoven. He is completely deaf at this point. Um, personally, for me, late Beethoven is my favorite. 
Um, I feel like the character of his music is quite different. You would think this is this would be his most painful music. The the most anguish would be in his music because he can't hear anymore. And yet, so much of it is this beautiful, gorgeous, major, um, much more calm and ha happy, satisfied with life than he ever was before as he was going deaf. It's like at this point, he's sort of moved on uh, and accepted the fact that he's lost his hearing and that it's okay. He can still make music and he knows what it sounds like in his head. Uh, and to me, that, especially right now, ties in really well with what we've been going through of mourning for the loss versus moving forward. Beethoven found a way to kind of overcome something that was out of his control. He wasn't going to get his hearing back. And he wrote music that was not full of pain and anguish. It was full of joy. It was nostalgic. It was happy. And that's that's the overwhelming emotions that I get from from late Beethoven, especially this sonata in Opus 109. So that's kind of the, go ahead. No, what a great connection to make between what he was going through when he wrote that and what we're going through now. I had not thought about that, but what a fabulous connection. You know, again, that, you know, we can, we can grieve and we can go through awful, terrible times, but look at what beauty can come out of that too. Mm. Yeah, some of his most beautiful music he wrote late. Yeah. And so this piece has personal meaning to me as well. I studied this in high school. And uh, one of the little pivot points that I didn't mention before, but I, I have a vivid memory of performing this piece at a winner's recital for something. And I can't remember what. But I have a vivid memory of performing this piece and the performance going really, really well. And um, I felt like I was finally maturing, not just in my technique, but in my maturity and handling uh, musicality and nuance and expression. And I remember several teachers who had known me for years who said, you've got to do this. You you've got to go make a career in music because what you're doing maturity wise is just not normal in a high school student. And I, that memory is strongly tied to this piece of music for me. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. It's just, I mean, go listen to the whole thing. And if you haven't played it, you know, go study it. It's just a remarkable piece. The whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I'm going to share on your list uh, is the Rachmaninoff Prelude number tw or Opus 23, number four. And this is just a gorgeous performance. We're going to pick this up about um, not quite two minutes in, but go listen to the whole thing. And then we'll talk about this afterward. Here we go. to cut that off <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> hard to get much better so what makes this piece part of your top five well uh Rachmaninoff is another one of my favorites as far as composers go you know he dealt with challenges he had to leave his home in Russia and come to America and obviously that was a source of of um you know suffering or anguish for him 
But I love Rachmaninoff in major keys because he he's obviously this brooding composer. There's so much emotion and passion in his music. Uh, but it, in major keys, it always feels like the good guy wins where things end up okay, even even through the the pain. I always like to picture a story behind it. Right. And even in this D, this D major prelude, yes, there's pain, there's there's low points, but the beauty of the music wins out always. I mean, it doesn't in minor keys too, but um, he's not sad when things the way things look. You leave, you finish listening to this music, ready to take on whatever challenges is next. You know, and so yeah. for me, I think um, it's just very encouraging to, to listen to. It's really interesting because um, uh, that piece and the Beethoven and the next piece, the Chopin ballad that I'm going to share, they're all a little bit like a roller coaster ride through emotions. And I, I wondered if that was an intentional theme that you had going or if that's just part of what you love about the music that you chose. Yeah, I, I prefer a piece of music that's varied, right? Uh, that's going to have some highs and lows. And I think it, it goes to your point that it's, being positive isn't always about being hunky-dory and rainbows and sunshine 24-7. Recognizing that there are challenges is not an issue. It's, is this challenge going to cause you to shut down and give up, or are you going to push past it? Because a lot of times these challenges, we, we prove more about ourselves when we get through the other side of them. We learn more about ourselves through that process than if everything were easy yeah. all the time. And I had said a long time ago when... Um, like last summer, it's the creatives who in societies that are getting us through this period. It's the creatives who are still churning out incredible things and who are still figuring out how to make things work, who are still creating art, who are changing how they express it and how they get their artwork out there or their creativity out there. But it's the creatives that are getting us through. Let me move over to this uh, Chopin piece. Um, and this is no recording. This is an amateur recording. So the audio might be a little bit different than what you're used to. Um, and this is the Chopin. I know. I just, I love Blake. Yeah. Performance <laughs> that's Chopin, okay. That's so okay. That's this is the ballad number one, correct? Yes. Here we go. Here we go. Go listen to the rest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what a wild ride that piece is. Talk about that one. So again, another personal moment for me. I, I learned this as a senior in high school. Um, and for me, it was a culmination. I played a lot of Chopin before, but finally things were paying off. I played two of his scherzos before this. And never felt like I was able to do them justice because my technique was still growing and developing. And this was the first major Chopin work that I finally felt like I was starting to achieve some level of mastery over. <laughs> uh, and so of course the music is gorgeous, but for me, it's, it's just got that personal meaning that, you know, I, I felt like, you know, 
this was around the same time that I arrived with the Beethoven Opus 109 that I've been studying and the G minor prelude. And I finally felt like I was, I was playing the kind of music I knew I'd be playing for the rest of my life. And lo and behold, years later, I still sit down and play this repertoire. Um, I get enjoyment just from, even if I fumble through the notes, because I don't remember them as well, but it's, it's a part of my background and my history almost. Yeah. And going back, it's like playing the music kind of transports you back in time. And so yeah. that's what this piece does for me. And again, the highs and lows, just like we talked about with Rachmaninoff, it's all there. Yeah. And I think there is something to be said for the music of our youth that we connect to so powerfully because there are so many memories associated with our period of adolescence, you know, whether it's yep. middle school, high school or high school and college, but <clears throat> it's really amazing how we connect so powerfully with music during that time of our lives. Uh, all right. So now we're going to take a little bit of a detour here. We're going to move to a different type of music and we're going to um, go to a little bit different world. And you know, when people share music of their faith, and this is, he will call, I don't know who, who is the, do you know who the performers are, the uh, group that does this? No, for, for our faith, we don't draw personal right. attention to any of the individuals performing. So we don't know, we don't know who did the arranging, okay. who is the okay. singing. So it's, it's without, it's just various, I guess. We okay. Can, uh, All we right. Can say. So this is, he will call, this is, this is the chorus section or part of a chorus section. Here we go. Chorus section. Here we go. faith. And do not wonder, for our God can make a stand, and we will live forever as the work of His own. Yeah, it's beautiful because there's no, um, well, I guess there's a little bit of maybe ukulele or harp in the background, but it's uh, it's mostly acapella, mostly vocal. But what I love about this song is I love when, I don't listen to a lot of music with words. I prefer just instrumental music because once you put words on it, it starts to assign meaning. And I, I like the idea of things being more open-ended in general. But when you ask me for my top five encouraging songs, this is one I've turned to lately uh, because as part of our faith, this hope of a resurrection is really important to me, my family. Um, and I love what this song does because it's all about in the scripture that God will call and the dead will answer. And in the music, it has tons of that call and answer. Mm -hmm. And I love that connection of how the musical motifs are perfectly tied in with the subject matter of the material it's gorgeous it's well thought out the more i listen to it the more wrinkles i find in it even though it's relatively simple in texture right right um yeah uh, it, it's interesting because when i listened i had never heard uh, either one of these before and um it was so simple and so pure and yet so profound right right and so for me, you know, reflecting on when those moments of negativity do come, uh, we, I talked about things that are outside of our control. We can't control everything that's happening in the world around us, but understanding and knowing that there's going to be a better hope for the future is very important for me to know, okay, even, even if I've controlled what I can control and there's still things that I'm not happy with, I know it's not 
the permanent end of the matter, that there will be a better solution in the future and definitely helps me to deal with negative feelings. And I think there is nothing more powerful than an eternal perspective. And just, you know, whatever your belief system is, there's nothing more powerful than such a huge, immense, expansive perspective that kind of puts our stuff, even though it's important, our everyday stuff in a little better uh, place for, I, like you said, handling the negativity, handling those small moments and remembering, yeah, this isn't forever. This isn't going to last. This isn't this isn't the big picture. There's so much more. There's so much more. I love that. Let me do uh, this last piece. This is called The New World to Come. And again, another beautiful uh, melody. And we're just going to hear a little bit of the chorus here. Yeah, you can't listen to that music yeah. and sad. No, it's um, beautiful. I mean, a lot of the same things I said about the He Will Call is the same sort of feeling, but it's a little mm -hmm. more upbeat. He Will Call is a little more somber. This is a little more upbeat. This uh, this will pull you out of it <laughs> if you're yes. feeling down. It's, like a, it's just like a warm hug. <laughs> mm -hmm. So is there... Anything exactly. else that you would like to share uh, with people who might be watching or listening to this episode? Um, anything else encouraging that you would like to put out there? Uh, hang tight. You know, don't throw in the towel because it's it, it's tough or there's there's bad days because after a bad day usually comes a good one. And I think just staying positive, looking for things that you can be happy about, not, not pretending to ignore like there's things that aren't good, but looking for something positive um, is the key. Because as you do more of that, you, like you said before, it creates that ripple effect where more comes, right? Good things come in batches and um, getting out of a rut is, is, is tough but it's not impossible. I've seen so many people do it. I see so many teachers who, like you said, took a while to adjust, mm -hmm. but they're coming out of it. Yeah. And they're as strong or stronger than ever. Yeah. And I think there's a great power too in, in connecting with people who are, you know, finding a way to create happiness, to create positivity, to create those ripples in the world. I know um, people are, um, giving me some feedback now about the podcast and how it's uh, helping them and how it's touching them. And I know this interview and your words and your experience and your time is going to be so meaningful and uplifting to so many people. So I just thank you so much for your time today, Derek. Thank you. It's been really fun. And I've enjoyed this privilege to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you who are listening or watching, uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, wherever you find your podcast or to the YouTube channel. And if you would like to uh, be involved in Sounds of Encouragement, you can go email me at soundofencouragement at gmail.com. And don't forget to leave a positive review or a comment and definitely go listen, uh, check out all the links 
in the show notes, wherever you are seeing or hearing this podcast or this interview. And I will make a small tiny plug here for Piano Works in Duluth. If you uh, have anything piano or music related, I hope you'll seek out Derek or any of the wonderful wonderful employees at Piano Works in Duluth, Georgia. So that's all for now. All of you have a wonderful, beautiful rest of your day, and we hope that this encourages you. Take care, everyone. Sounds of Encouragement is hosted, edited, and produced by Melissa Slocum. Music composed by Melissa Slocum and Steve Trussler. Music produced by Steve Trussler. For questions about the show or to get involved or be a guest, email soundofencouragement at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave those positive reviews wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Steve Tressler and Christina Lopriori, who encouraged me to do this. If you have found value in these episodes, please let me know through the comments, reviews, or via email. And if I can do anything to support or encourage you, please reach out and let me know. Thanks for listening.